Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, an assistant pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. Anybody that takes the Great Commission seriously realizes that laborers must be sent forth, and if those laborers are going to be effective, they're going to need a place to live, a vehicle to drive, fuel for that vehicle. They're going to need groceries to eat and curriculum to teach their children, not to mention gospel tracts for outreach and Bibles for their converts and on and on the expenses go. Missions takes money. Missions is certainly more than money, but there's no way around the fact that it takes funds to get missionaries around the world. The most effective tool for raising missions funds that I'm personally aware of is something commonly called Faith Promise Missions Giving. As it's usually practiced, a church will have a missions conference and then take up the church's faith promise, which is the commitment made by every participant of what they intend to give to the outreach of the church over and above their regular giving, in most cases for the next year. This method of fundraising is often traced to Oswald J. Smith, who founded the People's Church in Toronto, Canada in 1928. Wherever this method originates from, it's been the means of raising millions and millions of dollars over the years for the cause of world missions. Some of those millions have been raised right here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, where I serve as an assistant pastor. I know of no one that I'd rather talk to about this subject than my pastor, Brother Ron Ralph. Brother Ron started Cornerstone Baptist Church in 1991, and he immediately led the church to support missionaries through Faith Promise. Over the years, the church has developed a testimony for its generous giving to missionaries through Faith Promise. I sat down to talk with Brother Ron about Cornerstone's missions program and the tool of Faith Promise giving, and I think many of our listeners might be surprised by the way Brother Ron addresses this subject. If you're unfamiliar with Faith Promise, this will be a good primer on the subject, but really, whether or not you practice this method of missions giving, I think you'll find the interview to be interesting and even a blessing. Thanks for tuning in. Now for the conversation. Brother Ron, you started Cornerstone back in 1991. The first service or services were held under a tent. You had a week-long tent meeting to kick off the church plant. And then for the first three years, the church met in a pretty dilapidated community church building in Dixon Springs, not very far from the current location of the church. But at a time when most church plants would be focused just on getting established and finding a more permanent meeting place, you actually led the church to have its first ever missions conference very shortly after beginning to meet as a church. So I'm wondering if you'll take us back to those early days and how supporting missions became such an integral part of Cornerstone's ministry. Well, when we started Cornerstone, uh, we're in a rural community. Our, our church is located in Smith County, Tennessee. And I have a little bit of a different uh, perspective and maybe even a different definition of what missions is. I think most people, when they hear the word missions, they think of church planting missionaries. I don't necessarily look at missions that way. So when we started our church in 1991, I was surrounded by a handful of people, at least a handful, and really more than that. Uh, let's just say a dozen to 15 or 20 people that they just grew up in this area and they just had a keen interest in other people. They were interested in people. They cared about people. And so when I introduced the concept of us being able to make a difference in other places, 
and helping people that needed help, helping other countries even. It was just a natural segue into Faith Promise Missions. Our folks just immediately loved helping others. And and to be even more specific, Brother Lee, people ask me, how did your church get so involved in, in missions? Well, the truth of the matter is our church got involved in missionaries. Uh, my people fell in love with missionaries. So once you have a missionary in, your people just fall in love with him because he's going somewhere to do what they would love to do. It's, it's very easy eventually then to support missions when really the heart of the people of Cornerstone, and I don't mean this to, I, I mean this as a compliment, not to be critical of the people at Cornerstone, but I tell people almost jokingly, I think they're more interested in missionaries than they are in missions. They're obviously interested in both. But my folks love missionaries, and that's how all this got started. Well, you actually began Cornerstone in September of 1991, and you were meeting in that church building. I'd forget the story about how that became available. But a less-than-ideal building, uh, based on the descriptions that I've heard, and yet just two months or so after (laughs) the first service of Cornerstone Baptist Church, you're organizing a missions conference. How did the how did the people take that, and how did they respond initially to the emphasis when when it really would have been easier to emphasize other things at that stage in the church's life? Sure, I'm really not for sure how I personally uh, became passionate about going ahead at that early juncture in our church and promoting a missions conference. Uh, but I was when we started the church, I was already interested in doing something for missions, but. Uh, we we organized in October, October the 1st of 91, and we had the missions conference in November of that year. And I think the way that happened, and you got to remember that's almost 30 years ago now, uh, I definitely had some men who thought I was crazy. Uh, <laughs> you've got to be kidding, Brother Ron, because of the building we were in, it was, it was falling apart. It needed a lot of attention. We didn't have any money. We didn't have a lot of reserve money setting aside to do something with. And so, yeah, right at the very beginning when I mentioned the possibility of having missionaries in and our church was going to be doing a missions conference, I definitely had some men that raised their eyebrows. And they, 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 a couple of them actually came and asked me, are you sure this is what we need to be doing? Some of them didn't even come to me, but clearly were a little bit uh, skeptical of the idea. But I can tell you this, uh, by the first or second night of that missions conference, all the skepticism was out the window. And our folks were immediately in love with missionaries. And it just didn't take long for them to realize this is what we need to be doing. And, of course, I did present the biblical uh, philosophy of uh, you take care of others, God will take care of you. Uh, whether it's Second Corinthians chapter 9 on the reaping and sowing or whether it's giving to those that have need in Galatians 6 or whatever, once you presented, once I presented the idea to my folks that if we'll take care of other people and other needs, God will take care of ours. They, they they bought it. They took it hook, line, and sinker, and they believed it. Well, as best I can tell, they, they never stopped believing it, never stopped practicing it. The the enthusiasm has continued all these years later. I'm, I'm interested in how you personally got exposed to supporting independent missionaries because, like myself, you're, you got saved when you were 18. You were, at least initially, you were involved in Southern Baptist churches. It was what you were exposed to as a new Christian. And uh, you were educated at Southern Baptist uh, schools and exposed, I'm sure, at least initially to the cooperative program and that method of fundraising and mission support. 
So how exactly did you get exposed to independent Baptist missions in, and also to faith promise? Because I, I was never exposed to faith promise in my grown up years in the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't know of many Southern Baptist churches that do that kind of, that kind of mission support. So how were you introduced to it? Well, before we started Cornerstone, um, I did have some friends who were independent Baptist preachers. And that's probably where I was first introduced to uh, missionaries, not necessarily Faith Promise. So they had a missions conference. I went to one of their church services, one of their missions conference services, and saw how that worked, at least in that church. And was immediately, I, I, I would just call it almost like a childhood infatuation with missionaries to actually put your eyes on a missionary and know somebody that's going to go to a third world country and live in a grass hut and tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ. For me, that was just amazing. So I immediately was intrigued by that. And then it wasn't long after that, having been introduced to uh, those missions conferences in one or two churches where I knew the pastor once we started Cornerstone, I called one of those pastors and said, hey, I'm interested in doing something for missions. Tell me what you think we should do. And it was his suggestion that we have a missions conference. Uh, he suggested that we wait, uh, that we get some things in order, and I, wasn't, I didn't want to wait. So he suggested we wait a year or two. I thought, let's get this thing going. Let's not wait. And I asked him how to do a Faith Promise Missions Conference, and, and uh, I've sort of adjusted it to suit what I thought our needs were and what our desires were, and uh, we were off and running. So the theme of the conversation today primarily is, is around Faith Promise Missions giving. You have led Cornerstone to do Faith Promise now for a long time, and Cornerstone, among other things, is known for its generosity toward missionaries and for its missions program and its support of worldwide missions. I guess the the place to begin would be you're as good a person as anybody I know to answer the question, what is faith promise? So let's start there. How would you explain this concept of faith promise to someone who's unfamiliar with it? Well, let me say, first of all, that I'm giving only my perspective of what faith promise is. I do know there are other churches that say they do faith promise, but they do not do it like we do. And I'm fine with that. I don't think every church has to do it the same way. And just as I said earlier that I might have a little bit different concept of missions, I think maybe, and I, I, don't, I don't mean this makes me right and someone else wrong, but I may even have a little bit different concept of what faith is. If you're going to talk about what faith promise is, then you've got to talk about what faith is. I believe in faith child training. Uh, I believe in uh, faith preaching. Why would I get up and scream and yell my head off and, uh, and, and uh, rebuke and reprove and exhort people for 45 minutes? Why would I do that? Because I believe by faith that God's going to do something with that. I believe he has ordained preaching. And in the same way, I believe that if you train your children according to the Bible, there's going to be some very difficult days where you're going to have to correct your children or discipline your children or, or restrain your children, and they're going to hate you for about an hour, and your children are going to think you're a terrible person. But by faith, you obey God, do what he says, and you trust him. Well, I believe we ought to do faith-giving. I think our tithing or our giving to missions or a love offering or whatever it might be ought to be done by faith. Faith is taking God at His Word. So for me personally, 
faith promise is basically uh, a financial commitment to the Great Commission. It is believing that God has uh, ordered us, instructed us, commanded us to get the gospel to the world, and we have to do that by faith. Well, one of the aspects of getting the gospel out is the financial aspect. And so faith promise to me is making a financial commitment to help get the gospel around the world. So in addition to, we're familiar with, of course, the the Great Commission and the multiple places that we could point in Scripture where the Lord charges His followers to, to teach all nations and to preach the gospel to every creature. Aside from those so-called Great Commission passages, what other biblical passages would you point to as a basis for this approach to uh, missions giving? All right, now, now, now this question here, I don't want to be I don't I don't want to go into a Bible study, but I do think it's important that we look at a few things. If I'm going to answer that question, um, to me the biblical basis for faith promise is both uh, uh, there are commands in the Bible and there are principles in the Bible, and I think both of those uh, lead us to do faith promise. An example in First Corinthians chapter sixteen two. Uh, Paul the Apostle, of course, talking to the church at Corinth, and this is right after an entire chapter on the resurrection. In chapter 16, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come." So right there's an order the way I look at it. That's a command. You're supposed to, on the first day of the week, you're supposed to give as God has prospered. Now, if that's whether that's tithing or whether that's giving of your excess, I don't, I don't really care what someone may call that. It is a command that we're supposed to give in order to benefit others. So there's one example of what I would call a command. But truthfully, for Cornerstone Baptist Church and the way we've practiced things now for right at, at uh, 30 years— but is based more on principles than on commands. For example, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul said, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And I put that passage uh, with 1 John chapter 3, and I think it's one of the most overlooked um, passages in the Word of God for for Bible believers in particular, it says in 1 John 3, 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So I put those two verses together. I read about the early church in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 which I won't, I won't look at those verses right now. But when I look at those verses, the early church was selling their possessions. They were selling their homes. They were selling their land in order to meet the needs of everybody else. And the Bible says they distributed. Now, we don't believe that's communism. We don't believe that's socialism. That's not the government telling them to do that. Of their own free will, they realized some of them had a whole lot more than others, and they were bound and determined to, as Second Corinthians 8 talks about, that there be an equality. And so the way I have presented faith promise to my church and to other churches when I get the opportunity, if I'm asked to do so, 
is the biblical principle that God wants there to be a little bit more equality than there is, that American Christians probably have 80, 90 percent of the world's wealth, and that there's people in a lot of other places, not just lost people. Our missions is not just about starting churches in other countries. We believe there are people, for example, in Vietnam and the Philippines and other countries saved people who are trying to do something for God, and they simply do not have the resources to do so. So with the principle of Galatians 6, 1 John 3, Acts 2, Acts 4, and then the other one that I, I must look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, because 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I think, is... Uh, I, personally, I think 2 Corinthians chapter 8 has some clear principles in it that we don't even want to accept. I, don't, I, think, uh, I think Bible believers need to admit that uh, they're not overly interested in giving up their four-wheelers and their, uh, their extra groceries and eating out all the time and going out for Sunday at Cracker Barrel lunch. I, I think we need to be honest about it and say we really enjoy those things more than we ought to. So when you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10, of course, those are the three big chapters in 2 Corinthians on the subject of, of missions and, and giving to missions. And when you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it's abundantly clear to me in verses 8 through 14 that Paul is talking about monetary giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And he clearly says in verse 14, after he talks to them about giving, he said, but by inequality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. If you look at the entire chapter, and then you go to chapter 9, verse 6, 7, and 8, where God says, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. If I put those principles and those truths with Philippians chapter 4, where Paul said when people give to him, that God's going to add it to their account, those who give it, that God's going to bless them and reward them accordingly. I believe the New Testament is clear. We don't have to discuss tithing to discuss this subject. I personally believe in tithing. But whether a man believes in tithing or not, the scriptural principles are that if we have a surplus, we ought to use that surplus to benefit others, especially the body of Christ. So that's our philosophy of faith promise in a nutshell. One of the traps I guess some churches fall into is just building up their own little kingdom and, and investing in those things which are nearest to them and missing out on the on the needs around the world. And one of the ideas with this method of, uh, of fundraising and, uh, and giving is uh, this is not something that necessarily directly benefits me. There are benefits, but that's not what motivates us to give. Well, I'll take it a step farther. You're exactly right, but I'll take it a step farther. Most of the church, a lot of the churches, there are clearly exceptions, and I won't say most, but there are a lot of the churches that are more uh, all about me, if you will, as you said. And to me, those churches are the ones that struggle the most financially and are in debt up to their ears because it is all about me. But at Cornerstone, we've never had a debt. We've never borrowed money. We give our money away. I believe that God will... I, I believe God will give more through you than he will to you, and that if we are a channel, that God will take care of our needs because he knows that we're going to take what he gives us and use it to benefit others. So everything we have, God has provided it. That's the way we look at it. We believe it's his. He, he's the owner of it all. And so not only do I not want to have it's an all-about-us idea or mentality, uh, I believe with that mentality, you're in bondage. Yes, sir. <laughs> And that's the faith piece too. You got to uh, trusting the Lord to provide to provide your needs, 
and obeying the Lord in uh, taking what He's blessed you with and using it to be a blessing to others. It really is more blessed to give than to receive. Without a doubt. And uh, you will never know that until you try it. So when I actually became involved in Faith Promise as a pastor in Bruton, as you know, back, back around 2008, and you preached our missions conference there at Ridge Road every year for a number of years, and it's not like I discovered this method of mission support by reading my Bible, but I did find in the Bible the command to get the gospel around the world, the concept of sacrificial giving for missions like you find it in Philippians chapter 4. And it was my observation at that time that the churches that were really getting something done in the way of missions giving were utilizing faith promise. And so for that reason, I sought it out. The Lord certainly used that at Ridge Road as a vehicle for getting the gospel around the world. Um, But I've always looked at it not so much as a scriptural command. It's not like the Bible says, thou shalt give to faith promise missions giving, but um, a, a tool based upon biblical principles. And so as we talk about missions giving, I, I know that you wouldn't you you would rejoice over any church that employs any sort of tool that's not that's not anti-scriptural um, to support missions and to and to minister to other people. Um, so it's not so much it's not so much that we uh, that that certainly we would advocate this method of uh, of mission support and fundraising. But praise the Lord for any it, this may not if there's another church that's got another way of doing it. Praise the Lord. We rejoice in that. Uh, amen. I feel the same way about Faith Promise as I feel about a Bible Institute or a Sunday school program. Every church can do it the way they want to do it. Uh, and supporting missions through some other means other than Faith Promise, I rejoice in that. I'm tickled to death for them. I confess I don't know many churches that will do for missions uh, what the churches who are doing Faith Promise will do. But on the other hand, I know of some churches, quite a few, that give a certain percentage of their general fund or they take up love offerings so many times a year and they do a great job supporting missionaries, praise the Lord. That's why we're independent Baptists. <laughs> sure. uh, and so I'm not against a church supporting missions and not using faith promise. I wish some of those churches were not against faith promise or at least critical of it. Uh, so, so I'm all for people doing missions however they think works best for their church, and I think um, certainly there are other ways than faith promise to do missions. Well, there are those out there that are critical of this method of, of missions giving. I was completely unaware that there was any controversy around this subject when I, when I sought it out and, and when we began doing it at Ridge Road, but um, there, are, there, is some, there is criticism out there. I, I'm wondering, I, I'm sure you fielded some of, these, uh, some of these misunderstandings and some of these wrong ideas at times. How do you think that faith promise is sometimes mischaracterized or perhaps even, even practiced incorrectly? Well, I don't know for sure of anyone that's practicing it incorrectly, but I certainly know of some mischaracterizations of faith promise. Um, I've received letters, very hateful letters, about faith, doing faith promise. I've read a couple of books about faith promise. And some people seem to have, have the idea, and maybe this goes on in some churches, but some people have the idea that faith promise is some preacher coming in and just pressuring people to give, browbeating people to give, uh, making them feel guilty if they don't give. 
I consider the way we do faith promise as a privilege. There is no pressure. Nobody in our church is made to feel uh, less than than Christian or, or less than a part of our church if they don't give a whole lot to missions. We simply I have no idea who gives to missions in our church. I don't check the records. I don't know who gives five dollars or who gives five hundred dollars. But I do think that some people have the idea that faith promise has a lot to do with pressuring people to give who cannot afford to give. Um, I would I would say this. Um, I believe that most of the people who are critical of faith promise would also be critical of tithing. And so um, if you don't believe that tithing is, is a scriptural mandate for the New Testament church, you're probably going to have trouble with faith promise and probably are going to assume some things that are not true about faith promise. Well, I, it, when it comes to emotionalism, arm twisting, and manipulation, those sort of tactics are wrong. It doesn't matter what you're practicing. Amen. That's exactly <laughs> it's, right. It's true for evangelism. It's true for taking an offering. Um, so that, that's that's certainly for people to associate that with faith promises. It's not it's not a reasonable uh, association. I'm not sure exactly how people have gotten that impression at times. Well, it's unfair to use that. Uh, as a as a as an argument against faith promise, because simply I know of no church that does it that way. But all of the things I've read, and even the one book that was critical of faith promise, that's the description that I got from that book. So somebody has that that concept, and it's certainly not accurate. When you say that you don't know anybody that's practicing those kinds of methods, that's uh, you know a lot of people that are doing uh, faith promise. And you preach a good number of missions conferences every year. You preached our missions conference there at Ridge Road for nine consecutive years, I think. And uh, I think some people would probably be surprised uh, to to sit in. Th- those that are not have never been in a Faith Promise missions conference might be surprised at how little the subject of money even comes up sometimes in a Faith Promise missions conference. Most of the preaching is to the heart. It's consecration type of preaching. But there are themes that come up repeatedly and uh, in, in relation to giving. And when it comes to missions giving, I think a lot of what you promote in the churches that you preach in and certainly what you've sought to cultivate here at Cornerstone has to do with priorities. You've already, you've already mentioned this. Uh, you, you've touched on this when you mentioned you know, uh, choosing to contribute to, the, to, to fulfilling the Great Commission as opposed to getting a new four-wheeler, <laughs> right. or, or investing in others rather than eating out every day. And, and that may not sound all that, uh, all that spiritual, but um, it's got more to do with faith than perhaps we realize. Some of this business of faith promise is just a matter of priorities. So how do you think Americans could communicate more effectively to the need of missions if they simply reordered some of their priorities? Well, once again, and sort of repeating some of the things I said earlier, um, people will be excited about Faith Promise when they get their heart right. Uh, It's not a matter of me going into a church and trying to get people to give. If I can go into a church and help people get close to God, get right with God, get serious about the things of God, giving their money just comes naturally. And so I think one of the main things that can help uh, Americans get their priorities in order is simply get their heart right. How do you do that? Well, I personally believe that all Americans, and most American Christians, I should say, need to admit that we've become part of this culture 
that we are more American than we are Christian. Uh, we some of us are more Baptist than we are Bible, and 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 so over a period of time we get caught up in a culture and we never step back and look at it, and so we think that by giving up things that all of a sudden we're going to be the poorer for it or that we're not going to have as much fun or enjoy life as much. So somewhere around um, 20-something years ago, I read a book called Henry and the Great Society. When I read that book, God used that book for me personally. It's the only fiction book I've read in 30 years. I don't particularly read fiction. When I read that book, God helped me to take a step back and look at my life and how much time I was wasting how frustrated I was, how many things in my life were counterproductive to serving God, and I simply simplified my life. Uh, we quit a lot of things. We gave up a lot of things. <clears throat> we certainly quit. I, I haven't eaten out on a Sunday probably five times in the last 20 years. I don't know. I'm just That's just a guess. But by giving up those things, I'm much happier. My children are happier. My family's happier. I'm more a acutely aware of what God would have me to do on Sunday morning when I get up to preach. And my prayer life is better. I could go on and on and on. So Americans have been sold a bill of sales. We, we, have, we, have, we have bought into the lie that there's all these things that make our life more fulfilling and make us happier. And it simply doesn't work. We get right with God. We get rid of those things. We become more productive and we get our priorities in order. I've heard you describe the uh, the American dream as the as the Christian's nightmare. Yes, sir. And we are as Americans, it's easy to get caught up in the rat race. For our listeners, the premise of of Henry and the Great Society it's an allegory that's that's designed to teach a truth based based on First Timothy chapter six that godliness with contentment is great gain. And I think that we've seen here at uh, at Cornerstone when families practice that when they when they do simplify their lives they have they have more resources to allocate toward helping the needs of others including the gospel need around the world and it's something that some of the families here at Cornerstone have called on to and it's making a difference and that's that's really uh, I I'd say that's probably at the heart of of the success if we could call it that of Cornerstone's missions program is some people that have adopted that that approach and really have simplified their lives. There's no doubt about it because as I travel around and people ask me about our faith promise and they know that it's been successful and of course God gets the glory for that but at the same time you know immediately they think you've got a bunch of these wealthy people in your church that are that are making it possible to give all that money and that's simply not the case. When you have people that don't feel like they have to have a boat to go to the lake on Sunday or they don't have to go out to eat every Sunday or they don't have to have a big screen in their living room, etc., when you don't have to have those things, you naturally have more money. Uh, <laughs> when your children don't play video games every night, and we could just go on and on and on. And I'm not saying that all those things are wrong, but I am saying that that most of the folks, that are, a lot of the folks at our church have found out that those things are counterproductive. And without those things, they're a lot happier. And the, the implications are, don't just manifest themselves in the giving aspect. There are a lot of other spiritual benefits to simplifying one's life and the, uh, the way that makes a difference for a family. And uh, it's, I know it's something that you emphasize, and I certainly... Uh, can see the value of it and how it's uh, how it's been a help to our family over the years. I hope that you'll uh, tell us a little bit more about Cornerstone's missions program and how the church goes about Faith Promise, a, a, a bit more of the particulars. A big part of this is Cornerstone's annual missions conference. 
course, you described already that that's something that the church did for the first time 29 years ago, just just a month after it constituted as a local church, and it's been doing it ever since then. Maybe the biggest week of the year around here at Cornerstone. So walk us through the missions conference and how Cornerstone takes its faith promise every year. You know, I'm probably now planning a missions conference at least six months in advance, maybe even nine months sometimes, because as soon as our missions conference is over in December, usually by January or February, I'm getting phone calls from missionaries. Can I attend your missions conference? Can we come and present our work? So you have to you have to plan way ahead for those kind of meetings. And uh, we've tried to the way we plan our missions conference real simple we try to do everything we can to give that missionary three or four of the best days of his life we want him and his wife and his children to come here and and feel like royalty we want them to be catered to we want to spoil them for three or four days Uh, that's what we choose to do and uh, we've taught at cornerstone for years that the only heroes left in america are the missionaries and the military so when those missionaries come in here we would much rather our children be excited about a missionary coming to our church and putting his card on the wall in their bedroom and praying for them than some great basketball player, football player, or whatever. So it really revolves around loving on those missionaries and their families and trying to gear the meeting so that we can cater to them and make it a very special time for them. One of the things that, and I've been, before I was on staff here, I'd been coming to the missions conference for a number of years it was it became the even as i was a uh, when i was pastoring in bruton it became a sort of spiritual retreat one of the things that surprised me you know you hear about a meeting or you hear about a place and you have certain uh you know certain conceptions in your mind of what you might expect one of the things that surprised me about seeing cornerstone's missions conference is the fact that uh, is the simplicity of the format it is not gimmicky in the least. And I'm sure you don't have any problems with a church uh, decorating for a missions conference or having flag ceremony or having an international meal or whatever. Cornerstone doesn't do most of that. Uh, I'm, there, and there probably have been things that you've done over the years that, that were just seasonal. I know the teenagers from time to time have have decorated, have set up booths that represented the fields of some of the visiting missionaries. But apart from the missionaries setting up their displays in the in the foyer and then the distribution of the cards on the last night, the, the promise cards on the last night of the meeting, there are no gimmicks. There, there, it, it, is, it is just, there's a simplicity to it. Even the order of service is not gimmicky. It, there's a simplicity to it. There's, there's, there's hymn singing. There's missionary presentations. There's special music. There's preaching. And yet it's, it's an otherworldly time of the year for the church. You almost cannot define um, what God blesses and what God favors. Um, I, I would like to say that what you've just described about our missions conference would be true of our church in general in every aspect. Uh, but I do believe this. I believe that when—and again, we're, neither one of us and most Bible believers shouldn't be against churches that, that might be a bit more gimmicky, if you will, to use your word. But I do believe this. 
what's going to produce lasting effects, what's going to get people's heart to do something on a consistent basis for 52 weeks out of the year or for 10 years or 20 years in their lives is when the Word of God gets a hold of their heart. So we try to focus on uh, the reason you ought to do this is because it's biblical and God honors it and God blesses it. If I could do the things that might stir them up for that week and get them all emotional and to make some kind of commitment uh, on the last night uh, because of all the things we did to get them stirred up, uh, that'll die out too quickly. So if we keep it simple and allow the Word of God to do the work and the Holy Spirit to get a hold of their heart, then it's going to have a lasting effect. And that's our goal. Well, you just said that that you hope that that the description that I gave of the missions conference is true for Cornerstone around uh, you know throughout the year. It, it, by my observation, I really think that that's the key to the great to to the missions conference that we have here every year. Yes, is what is emphasized not just the me- week of missions conference because missions missionaries ministry to others, uh, being a blessing to other people trying to show kindness to God's servants, that is not a four-day event at Cornerstone. It is a it is part and parcel to everything that we do as a church. And I think that that meeting is really just sort of the crescendo of what is cultivated and emphasized around here at Cornerstone throughout the year. That's where we're going to stop today in our interview with Pastor Ron Ralph on the subject of Faith Promise Missions Giving. In the second part of our interview, Brother Ron will walk us through Cornerstone's big night when they take their annual Faith Promise, including the symbolic significance of the church's Faith Promise, which might be the highlight of the interview. We'll also discuss the relationship between year-round ministry at Cornerstone and the ongoing support of missionaries, and Brother Ron will share some suggestions for how churches can get involved in Faith Promise for the first time. Thanks again for tuning in. I trust the program has been a blessing to you. If so, we invite you to subscribe to this program wherever you receive your podcasts and invite others to listen as well. I welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Don't miss the second part of the interview with Pastor Ron Ralph airing next time here on Great Commission Conversations. And until then, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. Thank you.